Hi, welcome to the City View Church podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. How are we doing today? Happy Sunday. If you're excited, would you please make some noise today? It's a little bit better than the 930, but hey, welcome to City View Church, a perfect place for imperfect people. My name is Jared, and I am not the lead pastor of this community. That would be my man, Jeremiah Semler. Can we give it up for our lead pastor today? It is his birthday, so he is out of the office, and y'all are stuck with me. But that's okay. We got something good today. Start our new series, as we said, uh, No Ordinary People, as we are journeying through the book of Mark. Uh, but before I get going here, just by a raise of hands, um, tell me this. How many of y'all had, you're like, I had a garbage 2020? You had a garbage, any, anyone, yeah, <laughs> two, two hands up, two hands, I love that. You, you see, uh, recently I was chilling with one of my buddies a few months ago. Uh, he plays he plays baseball professionally, and uh, we were just chopping it up before he went back to uh, report to his team. And I was like, like just kind of catching up. And he's like, he's like, bro, I got a question for you. I'm like, okay, bet what you got. He's like, hey, I've been asking everybody this. I've been asking my teammates this. I'm like, he's like, I got this question for you. He said this. He said, and this is a question for you. He says, is there anything you could be grateful for that would have never happened unless the pandemic took place? He said, is there anything, he's like, Jared, is there anything you could be grateful for that never would have happened unless a pandemic took place? And he started telling me his story, right? And he started telling his teammates' stories. We're just, we're just trading stories. And I said, you know what, James? Actually, I've got a story for you as well. He's like, let's hear it. What are you grateful for? And so I started walking him through the journey. You see, last year in March, uh, I ended up, if you know anything about just kind of the pandemic and what it did to many industries, I was in the hospitality industry, and it absolutely decimated our industry. I was sitting in an operations meeting with me and all the other managers and directors, we're sitting there, and I've ne- I cannot tell you the dread in the room when millions of dollars get canceled over and over and over in the same meeting. I mean, it was horrifying, because we're all sitting there like, are we going to have a job? Like, what's going to happen? So, of course, you know, a couple weeks to slow the spread. It's cool. We're going to get furloughed, and we'll be back, right? So, sure enough, that, that two weeks turned into about a month, and all of a sudden, we shut down our city. And I'm like, okay, we're good. Like, I save money. Like, I'm, I'm cool. I'm, I'm not stressing about it. So then we open back up in hospitality. We just take off. People are booking. They're tired of being in their house. And, and little do you know, I actually had seniority in my position. My position, I was the only one in it, so I had natural seniority. So I'm like, I'm going to get called back. We're good, right? All of a sudden, we become the epicenter, and we shut down everything again. And this is the moment where I'm like, oh, no. Like, what am I going to do financially? And so I started just, I mean, I was, if you looked at my prayer journal every almost daily, I'm like, God, please, like, I need you to come through. Am I going to get my job back? What do you want me to do? You see, I was in this weird place because I've got, I'm loyal. I'm loyal, y'all. I'm loyal to my job. And and I didn't want to get a job just for two seconds to get called back and roll back there and say, hey, I know you spent money on training me, but deuces. I don't want to do that. And so I was waiting to get called back, but those two weeks turned into a month that turned into another month that turned into month after month after month. And I got to the point where I'm like, God, oh, like, yo, if you don't move, I don't know what to do. I was freaking out. But here's the amazing thing is on the other side of all of that, the other side of 2020, I am walking in the most 
financially providential season of my entire life. In fact, everything I had lost in 2020 that I should have made, I recouped it within six months. God, he has poured on my life extreme financial blessing this year. And, and I was telling him, I'm like, bro, you know what I'm thankful for? I got a new job. God has come through in amazing ways. And here's the most important one, is I used to know that God takes care of me providentially, but now I know. Oh, I know that I know that I know. You know, there's something to getting the head knowledge down to the heart. And you know how you get there? It's called desperation. You see, the, the, I want to share with you today, the title of my message is The Gift of Desperation. It's the gift of desperation. But here's the problem. Desperation is a gift, but you and I, living in America, we live in sometimes prolonged seasons of prosperity. Am I right? We got, we got weeks and months go by where we know where the mortgage payment's coming from. We got a good job. We're good. Like, life's good. And all of a sudden, what you don't realize is those seasons of prosperity, God bless them and I want more of them, they start to deaden our faith. They start to, I mean, I don't really need God. I, my job pays well. I, I don't really, I don't really, need, I mean, I'm, I'm doing well. You see, here's the problem. If we don't feel our deep need for God, we typically turn away from him and towards self-sufficiency. Martin Luther said this. He said, the root of all sin is self-sufficiency. It's trusting in myself. It's us trusting in ourselves over what he says, how he's guiding, him leading us. And all of a sudden, we have these seasons of prosperity. We start to get a little pep in our step. We're like, oh, that's cool. God used to be the God of my life, but then over time, it's very scary, and it can happen to every one of us. He becomes the God of our life to the God of the shelf. The God of the shelf. And I love when NF, this rapper, says this. He says, you see, the same God that you say might not even exist becomes real to us, but only when we're dying in bed. When you're healthy, it's like, we don't really need him, and then, leave me alone, God, I'll call you when I need you again. But it's funny, everyone will sleep in the pews, but then blame God for our problems like he sleep on you. We turn our backs on him, what you expect him to do? It's hard to answer prayers when nobody's praying to you. It's hard to answer prayers when nobody's praying to you. It's hard to answer prayers when nobody's praying to you. And that is the problem when we have extended seasons of prosperity. We go, I mean, I don't really feel a deep need for God, so I start to not connect to him overall. Over time, what happens, I stop connecting. I start trusting in myself, and my faith starts to wither. But this is the beauty of desperation. Because life, this is what I love about the scriptures. The scriptures say this. Jesus said, hey, it rains on the just and the unjust. Which is to say, whether you are a child of God or not, whether you love Jesus or not, whether you are righteous or not, storms are coming, y'all. They are coming. They are coming your way. It is just a part of life. And here's the beauty of them all. They have a way of transforming us from the inside out. They have a way of making us desperate. They have a way for we've tried option A, B, C, D, through F, through Z, and all of a sudden we're like, whoa, I have nowhere to turn but Jesus. I love Corey Ten Boom. She says this. She, she made it through a concentration camp during the Holocaust. She said, man, you don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And so here's what I want us to know. If you're to walk away with one thing today, this is it. Desperation is the soil God uses to set you up for radical life change. 
Oh, it's the thing that, that it puts the pressure on you to where you have nowhere else to go except up. And all of a sudden, God uses those moments. He uses that marinade to really change you from the inside out. And here's why. you got to remember, desperation, it's the soil. It's the soil. It's the soil. It's the soil that sets you up for radical life change. And here's why. Because when you come to the end of yourself, you come to the beginning of God. When you come to the end of your strength, you, become to, you come to the beginning of God. When you come to the end of your will, you come to the beginning of God. When you come to the end of your dream, you come to the God's dream for you. You come to the end of your strength, your will, your desires. You come to the beginning of God and what he wants to do in your life. You see, desperation is the soil God uses to set you up for radical life change. So let's jump into Mark chapter 5 because I want to highlight two quick stories about some people being desperate and how the desperate situations turned into something beautiful. And it starts with a man named Jairus in Mark chapter 5. You see, Jesus before this, in this chapter before, the context, he says, hey, with the disciples, let us go to the other side. They go to the other side of the lake or across the sea. And all of a sudden, this man who is possessed comes and runs and falls at the feet of Jesus. Jesus delivers him, and then they roll back across the sea, and we jump into our story, and it says this. When Jesus crossed again to the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him as he was beside the sea. He's rolling up to the sea, and all of a sudden, he can see a mass amount of people. And it says, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. Seeing him, catch this, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly and saying, My little daughter's at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. You see, if you grew up in church, you've heard this story a thousand times, and I'm sorry that we've gotten deadened to how profound this moment is, because if you would roll with me in your imagination, think of a good father who's standing in the ER waiting room, waiting to hear back what's going to happen to his daughter, pacing back and forth, going, I don't know what's, what's going to happen. And I just picture him, all the emotions, the fear of what, what could happen, the, the, the shock of like, I might lose my, like what is going on? I just don't understand. How, how do we get into this position? And all of a sudden, I picture this doctor walk out from the ER behind the closed doors and he says, hey, your daughter's not gonna make it another 24 hours. And I picture him, was it, was it friends that said, hey man, I know there's no hope, but have you thought about trying Jesus? Or maybe he was in that ER waiting room, wherever it was for him, and he has that still small voice that says, maybe you should talk to Jesus. Maybe you should go to him. You see, desperation is a soil God uses to set you up for radical life change. And it said that he went with him. He went with him. Jesus walked with him. And then there's another character that introduces in the story. It says, and a great crowd followed him, thronged about him. There was this woman then. She had a discharge of blood for 12 years and suffered much under many physicians. And she had money, but it couldn't solve her biggest problem. It said she spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had went to the primary care. She went to the specialist. She tried CBD oil. She tried uh, candles. She tried essential oils, peppermint on the, on the temple. She tried everything that she could. She went to every single doctor and no cure. And I picture her, if we bring it into 2021, imagine your friends say, hey, 
but this one, this one specialist I have, this is going to be the one. This is, this is the, this, this, this person, they've got it, right? So I picture her with no money. She's running out. She's like, I barely can afford this copay. I don't know where my, more my, my funds are going to come after this. And I picture her charging that card going, oh, God, like, oh, like, oh, man, like, what am I going to do if this doesn't work? And I picture her sitting in, in, in fear in, in the doctor's office, and the doctor comes out, pulls out the test results, and says, hey, I'm sorry, but we just can't seem to find out what's going wrong here. And she has no hope. But then it says this. I don't know, again, was it, was it the still, small voice in her soul? What was it? But it said that she heard reports about Jesus. And so she, she goes and finds him. She's ceremonial unclean. This is a dangerous operation that she's about to pull here. But she runs through this crowd, and it says this. She says, come up behind the crowd and touch his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. She touches his garments, and immediately the flow of blood dries up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned to the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Hey. Hey. Oh. Who who touched my garments? And here's what I realize about God. Anytime he asks you a question, he's not trying, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He's trying to help you know the answer. He's trying to set you up for something. He's trying to give you a new revelation. And so what it says next, it says, and the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, yet you say, who touched me? Dude, there's people all around. This is a crowd, Jesus. What are you talking about? People are running up, bumping you, trying to grab your shirt, get out of here. And it says this, and he looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and what? Fell down. Fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. He said, who touched my garment? Because he wanted to have a conversation with her. Oh, you're, oh you thought by the old law that you would make me dirty? No, 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 no. You can't make me dirty, honey. I'll make you clean. I'm going to change you from the inside out. I'm going to be there for you. And, and you can't, you can bring your brokenness and your disease to me and let me figure it out. But here's where we forget in the story. You have to be mindful that Jairus is sitting there waiting. Jairus, who knows, he could have had a, a report from the doctor that said, hey, she's got 24 hours to live. And can you imagine, you're sitting there going, yo, Jesus, this is nice, man. I know you're talking to this woman. Woo, she got healed. But listen, my daughter is a, come on, man. We got to do something about this. Let's go. And I don't know if you've ever been there. Have you ever no, notified God of your problems as if he doesn't know? Hey, God, <laughs> running down on finances. I have a disease. You want to help? And Jairus probably sitting there like, dude, you've got to go. But here's the thing. It's in these places, if you've never been here, it's called faith in the middle. This is the hardest place to be as a believer. And there's some of you in, in this moment, you have, you are trying to walk in faith in the middle. There is, so, there is a time lapse between, between God who says something, his promises, the seed he plants, and the harvest. And in between is the middle. And Jairus probably sitting there like, dude, come on. He's got the worst case scenario. What if we don't make it? And all of a sudden, a person walks up. 
It says this, while he was still speaking, there came from the daughter's house some who said, your daughter's dead. See, desperation is the soil God uses to set you up for radical life change. Someone comes up to Jairus and says, your daughter's dead. Stop, de- stop troubling the teacher. Here's what I've learned about Jesus. Sometimes God will let your worst fears come to fruition so that he can sh- show you that he's going to walk you through it anyway that he's going to be the one that's going to deliver you through that anyway. He will let the worst, like, not to harm you, not to, like, make you, like, stronger. He's just like, I need you to understand, even if the worst case happens, I've still got you. I'm still there for you. I'll still be walking with you. Because desperation, it's that very soil that sets you up for radical life change. And this is my favorite, this is my favorite part. He is hearing this. Can you imagine the heartbreak and the anger in the moment? Jesus, if you would just not talk to her, if you would have just, she wouldn't have come on. Where were you? But this is the reality of the faith walk. And if you are there and your attitude is bad, it's okay. I'm telling you, it's okay. It's okay to doubt. It's okay. Jesus never told him that he was going to raise her up. Jesus never did any of that. He just said, listen, let's roll. Faith in the middle, it's the hardest place to be. But I feel like I didn't share this first service. In Matthew, Matthew is writing to Jewish believers. He says that, that Jesus, that Herod put out a hit to, to, to kill all the little kids, these ba- baby boys. So what they did is they fleed from where they were at down to Egypt. Jesus then comes back. He is baptized in the Jordan, and then he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. Okay, why is Matthew talking about this story? Well, he's writing to a Jewish audience because if you go back to the Torah, if you go back to Exodus, we see the same thing, that the Israelites were taken down to Egypt And then they were then taken through the Red Sea and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. What is God trying to tell us? And what is he trying to tell you? That he is redeeming the narrative. Listen, he is redeeming your narrative. If you are currently not okay, it's because it's not over. If you are currently walking, you're like, I don't know what's going on, it's because God's still writing. He's still got the pen in his hand. He has not flipped the page, but he is redeeming your narrative, going, listen, listen, I know this is what it looks like, but I'm still writing. If you're not okay, it's because he's not done. Don't ever forget that. It's because he's not done. He's still writing. It might not be the answer you want, but it's the answer that you need. He'll be there when you need it. Overhearing what they said, Jesus says to the ruler, do not fear, only believe. He speaks right to the greatest fear. He says, do not fear, only to believe. But listen, that is the word of the Lord for some of you. It's Jesus' words himself. He says, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered... He said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. You see, 
Sometimes when you look at, you look through the lens of fear, when you look through the lens of the physical, sometimes you have to ask Jesus, hey, can you help me see this in the supernatural? Can you help me see this in the way you're seeing this situation? Is there something you want to do in here? I've got, I've got my eyes, but can you give me some spiritual eyes to see this in a new way how you're seeing it? Jesus walks up, he goes, I don't see what the problem is. I've got this. But here's what it says. They laughed at him. And put them all outside, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and went where the child was. And then taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, and I love the King James, the thous, the yees, you know that old King James. He said, it says in King James, it says, damsel, I love that, so personal, damsel, princess, arise, I say to you, arise, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Because listen, desperation is the soil God uses to set you up for radical life change. You see, so many of you, you might be in a season of desperation, or maybe you're not there yet, but let me tell you, there is a gift. There are gifts that desperation does that nothing else can ever give to you. There's something that in those seasons, when you are walking through the valley, that you get something new that you sometimes don't experience on the mountaintop. First gift is this. First gift of desperation is the awareness of God's presence. So Jairus, he, he walks down, he's, he's like at the end of himself, and he's like, my little daughter's at the point of death, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And this is, I, I skipped it, but then I caught it. It says, and he went with him. I love that. He didn't say, hey, Jairus, everything's going to be okay. I'm going to tell you exactly my plan. Here is the destination. He doesn't do any of that. He just walks with him. And that's a, that is what you get when you are walking in a desperate place. You start to get an awareness of God's presence. One of my buddies, he, uh, he's pretty new to the faith, lifelong friend. And his, his mom uh, recently passed away. And, and I called him. I was like, yo, bro, how are you doing? He's like, he's like, honestly, man, I'm going through the roller coaster of emotion. I'm going through all these things. But, dude, I feel like God's presence in just, I just, he's so real to me. And I'm like, that's, no, that sounds right. He goes, Jared. This is going to be weird, but can I tell you this? I was like, yeah. He's like, is it weird to say, like, I literally feel like God has his hand on me? He said, I woke up one morning. He said, I told my wife. I'm like, dude, I think God's got, like, I can feel him. He's like, Jared, is that weird? I'm like, kind of, but listen. <laughs> if that's how God's rolling with you, if that's how he's being real to you, amen, bro. Hey, I'll take that all day. I remember my buddy was going through cancer. He, he he had cancer and he was so nauseous and he told me this story how he was throwing up in the toilet and he was so rock bottom and he said, Jared, I am not joking you. I felt like God entered the room and put a divine hug around me. And he's like, I've never experienced anything like it in my life because God always meets you at the bottom. When you're going through it, that's where grace finds you at your lowest. It's what happens, it's what he does. But it reminds me of this story again. These 22 missionaries that were kidnapped in 2007 by the Taliban. And they're all in this pit, and they were using these missionaries as bargaining chips to get what they want. And so they're down in the pit, and they know that they're going to be executed one by one. First person goes, they go, hey, listen, hey, I'm, when they do it, hey, I'm going to go first, okay? 
This other person butts in, like, you're not going first. I am your elder. I am going to be the one that goes first. Next person chimes in, he goes, you're not even an ordained minister. I'm going to go first. It was so funny. They're fighting of who's going to get executed first. That is very otherworldly, right? So sure enough, that person that said, hey, I am, I'm an ordained minister, they actually did end up killing him. And the second person who, was an, who said he was the elder, he actually ended up dying as well. But the crazy thing is that God actually, he, he actually rescued through, through an incredible way, rescued them out of the pit. But here's the catch. They're all sitting at dinner one day. They all get together, all sitting at dinner. And some, one of the women go, listen, hey guys, I have a question. Do you ever miss the pit? And they go, yes. Yes, and I'm, I'm thinking, yo, that's crazy. Like, no, no, I, we missed the pit because God was so real. He was so tangible in the pit. It's just, I, 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 love, I love being on the mountaintop, and I love seasons of prosperity, but there's just something about being in the pit. He was, he's aware, I was so aware of his presence that I just can't get anywhere else, and they literally said some of them missed a pit. That is to show you that the gift of desperation it helps you become aware of God's presence. But the second thing is this. The second gift of desperation is it's a reminder to you that you do not have to clean yourself up to get to God. Oh, it's a reminder because when you're broken, when you have nothing to give, your T's are not t are crossed, your I's are not dotted, you don't have the religious tradition, you haven't opened your Bible in decades. When you're like, I, don't, I have nothing left to give, and you fall at the feet of Jesus, he always meets you right where you are. I love this. The woman, she says, she came in fear and trembling and fell down before him, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. She was so worried Oh man, I'm gonna make God, I'm gonna make Jesus dirty. I'm gonna, he can't handle my mess. And Jesus is like, no. Come on, I've, I've got you. I believe he said these words with a smile because that's who our God is. One of my favorite dudes, his name's Brian Welsh. He, uh, he's a guitarist at uh, the band Korn. And uh, when, he was, when he was in Korn at, at his highest, right, he said he was a multimillionaire and yet he wanted to kill himself. Horrible meth addict, right? Just tough, just, just struggling with meth. So one day he goes to two rehabs, goes to two, two uh, like rehabs in a row. Both of them go, hey, honestly, we don't have a lot of success with meth. He's like, what? Like, I have no hope. Like, what do I do? So he's like thinking like, How, what do I, what do I, I don't know what to do. Sure enough, he's doing a real estate deal, commercial real estate. And the guy brokering it, he invites him to church. And he's like, listen, I didn't go because I wanted to know who God was. I just wanted to be around sober people. So he goes, to, he goes to church, and the pastor's sermon, he goes, if, listen, if you're struggling with drugs, he said, if you are broken, he said, bring your mess to Jesus, just come see, because if you get this word in you, he will push all the addictions and the things out of you. And he was like, yo, this is crazy. This could be the missing ingredient. He's like, because I'm a multimillionaire and I want to die. So he says he, he went home, and he's like, He's like, I literally just gut-wrenching prayer just ripped open my soul. It's like, Jesus, dude, if you are real, you need to show me. Please, please, please show me. Listen, I cannot get over this meth addiction. I don't know what to do. I want to kill myself. My daughter's not going to have a dad. She doesn't have a mom. I need help. And he's like, 
He just left it at that. And so he said that he then did a line of drugs right there, right after his prayer. And then the phone rang. Can you imagine being high and the phone rings after that prayer? You're like, whoa, what? And an answering machine, remember? <laughs> answering machine starts, and this guy goes, there's a guy named Doug. He goes, bro, dude, Brian, I heard you were at church, man. He goes, dude, dude, Jesus sent me free of this meth addiction. Like, this is amazing. Like, dude, you gotta just give your life to Jesus. And he's sitting there listening while high, and he's like, dude, if Doug can get off drugs, maybe I can. And so he said, I just would keep coming to church high. I would keep coming to church high. And he said, listen, all I know is you keep coming to church high. You keep getting the word in you. You keep listening because faith comes through the hearing of the word. And he says, come to church and let God be God. Clean, you do not have to clean yourself up to come to God. Come on. What? What are we going to clean ourselves up? Even our, if my, listen, I'll be straight. If my wicked thoughts, desires, motivations were on this screen, I would never want to be in this room. Even my good, there's still a tangent, little bit, even if it's a 1% of sin attached to it. I can never clean myself up. But Jesus says, he gets down on the knees and says, hey, come on, I got you. Third thing is this, and I'm out your way. Gift to desperation, third gift, is you get a new revelation of who he is. You get a new revelation of who he is. It says, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter's dead, but troubling the don't trouble the teacher any further. But overhearing what he said, Jesus said to them, ruler of the synagogue said, do not fear, only believe. And then he took her by the hand. He said, Talitha kumi, which means daughter, I say to you, princess, I say to you, arise. And what did Jairus learn in that moment? God brought him through his worst fear, he, now, he is now on, on this other side of it, and now we see resurrection. He goes, oh, I used to like, maybe I knew who God was, but now I know. It went from head down to heart. It, it has changed everything. And this is what happens all throughout the scriptures. Remember, when the storm hits the disciples and they think they're going to die, Jesus says, peace be still. And they're like, yo, he knows he can control the wind and the waves. This is absurd. But here's what's crazy. I remember the, 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 the feeding of the 5,000, right? And I love this. This is so classic Jesus. The disciples come up to him. And he's like, yo, listen, we cannot feed all these people. It's getting dark. Tell them to go home. And Jesus is like, you feed them. Classic Jesus. You feed them. That's impossible without God. And he said, what do you mean? Like, we can't feed them. What, what are you talking about? He goes, okay, what do you have? Sometimes you need to understand that the miracle's already in your house. That the miracle's already in your house. That, that, that you have stuff that you gotta give to God and he blesses it and multiplies it. It just changes everything. And then it says this, they have, they're like, we have five loaves of bread and two fish, seven total, with this is a number of perfection throughout scripture. And they give these loaves of bread and these two fish to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He makes it multiply. Can I tell you, anything that you give Jesus in your life, you got the blessing of God on it. You've got the multiplication factor. We talk about, we, we do 401k, we're like, ooh, this is 10% this is more that I'm gonna get. Ooh, this, is good. this stock's gonna be 10x. When you put God on it, it's infinite x. Oh, it's, it's, it's untouchable. And so it's amazing. They give this to Jesus. Jesus, break, he prays, breaks the bread, and it says he gave them to the disciples to then hand out. 
And this is what I love. This is what I love the most. Is at the very end, there are 12 baskets left. Now, I don't want to be your weird Christian friend that points out more number symbolism, but I'm going to do it anyway. You see, 12 is the number of authority in Scripture. And what's so amazing is that Jesus is going, listen, I'm the authority of all resources. But, you, but did you catch it? Mark chapter 5, how long did the woman have a discharge of blood? 12 years. Which, she said, which God is saying, hey, I have authority over all health issues. But then did you notice the daughter was 12 years old, and God says, no, I'm also the authority of life and death. He has absolute authority, but you would never know unless you got a new revelation of who he is. Oh, thank God of the desperation. Ooh, thank God for desperation sometimes. So what do we know? We want to know that desperation is the very soil God uses to set you up for radical life change. Because when you come to the end of yourself, you come to the beginning of God. Did you know this is not a religious tradition? We're not here just going to church to go to it. We don't read our Bible just to cross our T's, dot our I's. No, we come empty-handed. And that's why I love when someone said, Christianity is just one beggar telling another beggar where he found the bread. It's a fact. There's no, you, don't have to, you don't have to clean yourself up to get here. You keep coming and let God be God. So here's what I want us to do. And I believe this is a word for the church. I want us to choose a daily posture of desperation. It's a daily posture. It's hard, y'all. When life is good and you feel like you don't need God, you're like, ah, I really don't care. There's nothing really tying me to him. But for some of you, you're already there. You're in this season of desperation. You're like, you don't got to tell me twice. I'm already here. I'm telling you. So choose a daily posture of desperation. And here's why. Because desperation is the invitation for God to work powerfully in your life. It's the very invitation for God to work powerfully in your life. And I'll finish with this. There's two ways to get to desperation. You can either fall there, or you can kneel. You see, the demoniac, the man possessed in early of Mark chapter 5, it said he fell on the feet, fell to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus restored him. It says that Jairus fell on his feet and Jesus' presence says, please heal my daughter. It says that the woman with the issue of blood, she fell down at Jesus' feet like, please, please, please. I, like, this is the truth. This is where I am. I've been so jacked up for 12 years. I've been, I've been ceremonially unclean. I just need your help. But here's the crazy thing is falling down takes no effort. Because storms are coming, y'all. Storms are coming. You don't have to choose to fall. Like, it's gonna, it'll happen to each and every one of us. But it's a gift. But it's a gift. Just falling to desperation because you never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. But for those of us that are going through great seasons, it's kneeling. It's going, God, I literally, I have nothing to bring to the table. Help me be a good leader at my work. Lord, help me be a good friend. Would you please, God, would you, would you get rid of these desires that are not of you out? God, would you, the, would you help me humble myself? Would you help me, like, let, let, let you lead my life? Lord, would you take the steering wheel? Someone recently told me, they're like, Jared, I just, I just don't want to run my life anymore. I'm tired of it. And they told me, they're like, 
man, I just, is that weak? And I'm like, no, that's the very place we all need to be. I said, I need to get where you're at. And I said, and, and I just, this, the truth is you can fall at the feet of Jesus or you can kneel there because it's this place where we come to the end of ourselves where we go, God, I cannot be the husband you called me to be. I need your help. Hey, I cannot be the wife or the mom or whatever you called me. I need some help. God, I, I've, got, like, I've got bitterness in my heart. People have hurt me really bad and I really want to forgive them, but I can't. Oh God, would you please help me? Would you change my heart towards that person? This is where the gospel is. It's not in your performance. It's not what you can do. It's in what Jesus has done for you and to transform us from the inside out. You can choose a daily posture of, de of desperation, but you can either fall there or you can kneel. And I love this verse. It says in Psalms, it says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And then one of my favorite verses in the scripture says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Because when you posture yourself in a place of desperation, you have just opened up your spiritual ears that much more. And can I tell you, when God tells you to do something, every time you say no, you might think his voice is going to get louder and louder and louder, but it actually gets quieter and quieter and quieter. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And that's what I love about following Jesus, is that when we put our faith in Jesus, he transforms us. He says that we are not who we used to be. We're a new creation, yet he still asks us to follow him, which is a daily choice. And I'm just telling you, as a church, I think this is where we, we need to be. And this is where I want to be. I want to be on that daily desperation life for God to do something in me and let the results be the results. He can handle that. I'm putting the pressure back on him to change me from the inside out. And I want to know if you are all with me. Because I believe this is the message to our church. All we need to remember is that desperation is the very soil God uses to set us up for radical life change. Because when you come to the end of yourself, you come to the beginning of God. So what do we need to do? Choose a daily posture of desperation. Why? Because it's that place that's the invitation for God to work powerfully in our lives. Lord, let's, let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much, Lord, for everything that you've done for us. Lord, I just ask, God, that for those that have fell at your feet, God, would your presence be more and more tangible even in this very moment? God, would you surround them with a divine hug? Lord, would you, would you surround them with your love? Would they just notice your presence in their life? God, I pray that as we are going through it, Lord, would you just show us really who you are? Would you give us a new revelation? And God, I just thank you so much that we do not have to clean ourselves up to come to you, but God, you take us no matter what shape we're in. No matter what struggle we have, you are there with arms open wide. So Lord, we sit here before you and we just ask God for those that are with me, we surrender our life, we surrender our will, surrender our dreams, we surrender it all and just ask God, would you change us from the inside out? And Lord, I just thank you that you walk with us just like you walk with Jairus. Our sin doesn't keep you, take you by surprise. And that, Lord, if it's not okay right now, it's because it's not over. 
I thank you, God, that you're still writing stories in this room. And for those of us, maybe you've never decided to follow Jesus. Maybe you've actually come to the end of yourself. I want to invite you to follow him today. If you want to pray, you can pray with me. But I would just lead you in this prayer and just say, Jesus, I'll give you my life. I'm giving up. I'm waving the white flag. I just ask, Lord, that you would forgive me. And thank you for accepting me and loving me for who I am and where I am right now. I give you my life. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. And with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you decided to follow Jesus today for the first time, I want to invite you to, to raise your hand on the count of three. And not because, not because it's, some, like, it's some special thing or it's really just because we want to pray for you and give you a gift. And so if you decide to follow Jesus, maybe for the first time in your life, just on the count of three, if you could raise your hand. One, God loves you too much, so much. Two, you'll never be the same again. Three. And Lord, I thank you for every person in this room. And I ask God that you would continue to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you decide to follow Jesus while listening to this podcast today? We want to celebrate with you and help you with your next steps. Click the link in the podcast description to get connected with a pastor and your next step. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to click that follow button and tune in next week for another great message.